Welcome to the Heal East Africa podcast. Heal is a social enterprise that is devoted to user-friendly justice. That is, justice that is easy to understand, easy to access, and effective. We are the world's only justice accelerator that is focused on preventing and resolving justice problems. We want to ensure that by 2030, 150 million will be able to prevent or resolve their most pressing justice problems. Thank you so much for joining. Um, my name is Brian Bright Musioki. I am the Director of Communications at Wakilisha. We have a great discussion lined up. Well, first of all, today happens to be World Children's Day. It's an important day to have this discussion. I don't think there could be any uh, better day. And our theme today is reforming juvenile justice in Kenya, a call to action. Why we're calling this a call to action is in July, um, just around Mandela Day, we had our first webinar um, on the theme creating a suitable environment for juvenile inmates. And on this webinar, we had a lot of um, challenges that were raised, um, challenges that are facing children in conflict with the law. And it, it, it helped in painting a you know, good picture of what's happening on the ground as far as children in conflict with the law are concerned. And after that webinar, it became necessary that we have a follow-up webinar to discuss solutions to these challenges and how everyone can be part of uh, the solution or contribute to making um, reforms in the juvenile justice sector. So our first panelist today is Mr. Julu Okadia, who is a practitioner at Julu Okadia Advocates and one of our pro bono advocates at Wakilisha Initiative. He's also a le law lecturer and instructor. Um, next up is Ms. Penina Kanyithia. Ms. Kanyithia is the Westland Subcounty Children's Officer. She is a child clinical psychologist with 15 years experience in the Department of Children's Services. Um, last but not least, our final panelist is Ms. Elizabeth Njambi, the founder and CEO of Wakilisha Initiative, which is a non-profit organization aimed at promoting access to justice for children in conflict with the law. She started Wakilisha in her final year of law school and is now an advocate in training who is more committed than ever to creating a juvenile justice system that cares about children. My first um, question will be to all the panelists and just to get um, to know why are you working with children in conflict to the law? Why are you interested in, you know, reforming the juvenile justice system? You know, why do you do what you do? So perhaps I'll, I'll begin with Ms. Penina, who works at the Department of Children's Services, and she's worked there for 15 years now. Um, Ms. Penina, perhaps you can share with us why, why are you still, you know, at the Department of Children's Services? What's your driving force? Let me uh, say that uh, the Department of Children's Services is mandated to serve all the children, irrespective of what they have done or where they are. So as a children officer, I am very, very passionate about helping children who find themselves on the wrong side of the law. Because if you look keenly at these children, some of some of their children who are in need of care and protection. If you look deeply at the issues that uh, surround their their lives until they find themselves being child offenders. So as a child defender, as a child protection officer, I am very, very passionate to ensure that these children also get their justice, also get their right, irrespective of having found themselves on the wrong side of the law. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for that um, passionate response, um, Ms. Kanyevia. And I will... I move to you, Elizabeth Njambi. Uh, you know, just share why you know why do you work with children in conflict with the law, and you know perhaps this would be a great opportunity to tell us why you even started Wakilisha. I'd have to say that when I started, really, I thought that this could be any child, and uh, initially, so I started Wakilisha in my last year of law school. And I did not know that there are children in conflict with the law. I mean, you know it. But I didn't have this sense of thinking, oh, there are actually children in conflict with the law. It's one of those things that, you know, in theory, but don't really think about in practice. So I happened to attend a data collection exercise. Um, I was part of the Students Association for Legal Aid and Research in University at the time. And I remember we were doing a data collection exercise for Pendekezoletu, which is uh, a nonprofit organization in Kenya. 
And so we went to committee YCTC. So first I was shocked that we not only have, I mean, children in conflict with the law, yes, but they're actually held in committee. So that was the first thing for me. Like I also just wanted to go see where are these children and how are they held. And then just as we were having discussions with them, I started realizing a pattern, you know, they were all from, most of them, let me say most, not all, they were all uh, mostly from uh, poor family backgrounds or broken down families, or some of them had been orphaned, but it was almost the same kind of pattern. As Ms. Kanyithia had said, you would in fact classify them as children in need of care and protection. And this really stayed with me because I kept thinking, I, there's nothing special about me, you know? And you'd see some of them looking at you and you could almost hear the question in their mind, you know, because we were almost age mates at the time with some of them, or just, I was just a few years old. You know, why, why am I here? And uh, why are they on this other side? And it mm. kept, you know, the question kept, the answer kept coming to me. It is only because of the kind of back upbringing and the kind of background that they've had. And I really just wanted to do something about that. And then came Hill uh, with the Innovative Justice Challenge. For those of you that are aware, Hill does this every year. They have an Innovative Justice Challenge annually, and then they get to pick uh, innovators that they incubate. So I started Hill. I started Wakilisha because of that. We didn't, unfortunately, win <laughs> the challenge. We were shortlisted, but we didn't win. Um, but then that didn't stop us. And uh, as we start, as this is meant to be a solutions-oriented webinar, right? So I think for me, the first solution I would say is do not give up. You know, this the, the work that we do is hard. Uh, getting donors and whatnot is quite hard, but do not give up. So from the first um, no in quotes that we received, we did not end there. And I'd also, I, I like what he did for us because when they sent the regret email, they said, these are the reasons why you did not get past this point. And um, this is what you'd need to work on. This is what you'd need to do. So always look for those kinds of things. You know, where can I improve? Or what, what issue am I not tackling? Am I not reaching out to the parents or guardians? ETC, ETC, look at what you need to work on if you're going to have... Uh, justice solution or any other social justice solution. Um, yeah, so that's why I started it. And the thing that keeps motivating me to date is that I'm not special. None of us are special. We just had a different upbringing and there's nothing wrong that these children did at, at birth, at inception. When they were coming into the world, they almost, it was almost as if they were destined to follow a certain path. And I'm determined to change the course of that path as much as I can. Great. That is, yeah, that, that's amazing. And thank you very much for your response. And I will now move to Mr. Julu, who can also get to share what his driving force is. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much, uh, Bright, for that uh, introduction and for the opportunity to participate. You would understand that we live in a society, right? I mean, I'm part of a society. And in Africa, we have this uh, Ubuntu kind of philosophy that I am because we are and we are because I am. So out of that as well, in as much as I spend time practicing in um, my time law or other aspects, which of course are not pro bono, uh, but by the fact of that uh, being African one and then two, by that African philosophy of Ubuntu, and then three as well, looking at the uh, African chapter concerning uh, rights of the child, we have obligation to our society. We must give back to society. And this was an opportunity for me. Well, partly you might say for me not to feel guilty that I'm letting down the society by not uh, participating in the good of the society. But the thing is, uh, it is not proper for anyone to live uh, in a way which uh, might be taken to be selfish. And for me, this was one of the ways in which uh, it provided that opportunity for me to move along. And Besides that, I think there's also a sense by which um, uh, I also like to engage uh, different kind of people and to also get to understand uh, new kind of, um, uh, you get new kind of knowledge and uh, new kind of ideas and philosophies when you interact with different people. And for me, uh, engaging with children in conflict of the law I also gives me that new kind of um, uh, appreciation of the society that we live in, the diversity that we live in, 
And if you can assist someone, well and good. So when the opportunity came uh, from uh, Wakilisha, uh, I took it up because it, it's, it's only proper. And also noting from what I've seen in court, sometimes when I'm in court, uh, there's certain things which uh, also got me to get interested. Uh, that these things are on paper. How come they're not being implemented on ground? And if I can have an opportunity to have the link between the paper and the ground, well and good. Whatever, however many models that might be, uh, that is why I got into it. Thank you for your response. And we are very grateful, you know, for you and people like you who um, do this work for children in conflict with the law, either through us or other organizations. But we really appreciate. Just to get to understand um, the challenges facing uh, ch children in conflict with the law, there are way too many challenges. We had a whole, you know, one and a half hour webinar in July about this. And each one of us um, is already perhaps a part of the solution. And how can we make, you know, the, the things that are on paper, as um, Julu shared, practical? How can we make sure that children have a right, you know, the, all children have legal representation, their rights to fair trials are not, um, are not violated and all that. So perhaps I will start with you again, uh, Ms. Benina, just to share um, the work of the Department of Children's Services. If we are saying that in paper, all children should have a right to legal representation, what is the department doing to make sure that, you know, all children who are in the system get matched to some legal representation? How is it like, is, does the department have a say at all? Is there anything they have done or is there anything they can do to ensure that? Uh, I want to start somewhere a little bit back before uh -huh. I come to what the government is doing okay. about uh, um, helping children who are in the juvenile justice. Mm -hmm. I want to talk of uh, the work of the Department of Children Services in preventing the children, first of all, from entering into the system. Now, it's unfortunate that uh, our community is very fast at judging a child or somebody who is found on the wrong side of the law. And in most cases, as a children department, we are, uh, we are, we are overburdened by complaints from people who want children who have committed even very, very petty crimes be put in the system and therefore as a department first and foremost we try to ensure that these children not all children who are brought to uh to our offices or even to the police station end up in the in the juvenile justice so what do we do at the community level we work with the uh, people we call child protection volunteers yeah, these are the people who are in every community, every location as a, a town protection volunteer. And these are people that are kind of, uh, who have been tasked by, with the role to educate the, the community, the society, that not every child needs to be put in a, in a rehabilitation school or even in a post institution. So these CPVs, we train them as a department. We recruit them, we train them on how to handle children matters. So that whenever they are, a child is brought to them, they are able to do some analysis, assessment of some kind, and be able to tell whether this child really knows to proceed with the juvenile justice. Yeah? Because you will find that, as I started saying, some of these children, it is not their making, and I hand even Jambi echoing the same, that these children come from dysfunctional families, some of them. These families, they lack parental uh, monitoring, parental guidance, you know, and therefore such a child, when he or she does something which is against the law, surely it is not uh, 100% bring of this child. And therefore, as a department, we first of all try to see how can we intervene from the community level to situate that these children are first of all helped from the community. Therefore, we have meetings with the parents. We sometimes even want the parents 
Yeah, you are saying that the Tom in court has his stolen, but this Tom has nobody to supervise him. You as a mother or a father, you leave this child unattended from morning to evening, you know? Okay, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that, uh, that uh, our, our, our economic status of some of our, of our parents is just very, very poor. To work very hard, to leave their houses very early and come late in the evening. And as a result, they find that that lack of monitoring leaves the child kind of vulnerable, you know, to kind of uh, influenced by other people in the community or peers. So what do we do? When we realize that it was not the making of the child, it is the parent, we try to deal with the parent, right? Yeah. As a way of ensuring that that child is not unnecessarily put in the system. Now, that is using what are called a CPV, a child protection volunteer at the community. These children also may end up in the police station where the child protection volunteer may not uh, assess the child. That's where a child, a children officer like me comes in because every matter that goes to the uh, to court, as a child protection officer, I'm supposed to prepare a report. Again, I do, I carry out what we call a social inquiry. In the social inquiry, I try to analyze all the factors surrounding the, this child's uh, life that pushed him or her to find himself in, uh, in the bad side of the law. And when we do that social inquiry, again, if we find that there is something that somebody was supposed to do, for example, a parent or even a teacher, and he or she did do, then we try to make sure that we save the child, uh, I mean, we prevent the child from entering into the system and they deal with the people who ought to have helped him or her. I don't know whether I'm getting, you're getting what I'm saying. Yes, so, yeah. through our social inquiry, again, we do a lot of saving, a lot of saving to ensure that children are not unnecessarily put in the, in the, in the juvenile just, uh, uh, system. We also do uh, what we call the children assemblies. Children assemblies. In the children assemblies in schools, we try also to educate children uh, on matters that can put them in the advanced side of the law. Yeah. So we kind of uh, um, do um, awareness, research, awareness to these children. Because some of them will be influenced by their, by their peers in school and you find they have committed something which is uh, which could be termed uh, as a crime unknowingly. So when we do a kind of awareness in school, then the children are informed on what uh, uh, they should do on and what they should not do. So that is on the prevention bit of it. Mm -hmm. Now, when we come to dealing with those who are already in the juvenile system, we try to ensure that a child is committed in an institution uh, within the shortest time possible. Because again, a children officer's report is required to, re to help the, the, the court decide how long does the child take in a rehabilitation school. The children have to provide for a maximum of three years, but in most cases, we, we try to ensure that that child does not stay in the, in the institution for those three years. So as a children officer from the Department of Children Services, I, I, I ensure that in my recommendation, I make sure that this child does not stay in the institution for long. When they're in the institution, again, we continue with the counseling, a lot of counseling. The department is putting a lot of the effort in ensuring that most of the staff in the institution, they undergo basic counseling skills because they have these children in their custody. How do they assist them, right? So uh, a lot of counseling is done, but of course, if, uh, if the staff find that the child is, uh, the problem they're encountering is beyond what they can deal with with their limited skills, 
Again, the child is now referred for further uh, professional help. Still in the, in the institutions, we try to do a lot of, uh, of monitoring of the families that the children, where the children came from. Because as I have said again, the problem of these children may not be necessarily the child, but the environment at home. So we do a collaboration whereby the, the staff in the institution, they deal with the child. Me as an officer outside in the field, I try to deal with the family to situate whether things can change and help this child to become a better person when they leave the institution. Yeah. If it's an, an economic empowering, we try to see how we can empower the family. Yeah. How can we help them? For example, uh, the family is just too poor, the, the mother has nothing to, you know, to, to even to provide for the, for the food that the children need. So we try to see, can we put them in the cash transfer programs? Yeah, can they qualify? If they qualify, then the household is put in the cash transfer program. The other bit that we do still as a, a department uh, is we try to do what we call uh, environmental assessment reports. We assess the environment where the child has come from. Yeah, the child was already entered in the juvenile system. Is the environment ready to receive the the child? Because as I have said again, you find that the community is very very fast in. Uh, pushing the children to the institution, to the juvenile system. Of course, with a lot of stigmatization. That's a big, that's a, you know. So we, we go back to the, the environment where the child came from and try to educate them that, well, this child may have done this, but it was not purely is doing. Yeah. So we prepare again the environment for the child through what I'm calling environmental assessment reports. You, ma you mentioned about, um, you know, developing reports um, for the courts on, you know, children in conflict with the law. Um, what kind of challenges do you, do you face while you're, while you're doing this? Because I, if I can remember correctly from our uh, previous uh, webinar that we had on challenges, one of the issues that was, you know, that were raised was that, you know, there's delay in acquiring, um, you know, the reports from probation officers um, in court. Let me not answer about the probation, but let me answer about the children officer, officer's report. Maybe the major challenge that we encounter is that is the kind of the, the attitude the people have towards these children. So that even as you try to get the information about the, the, the child, about the family, People already feel like, ah, that one is a bad child. He should not come here, you know? The stigmatization that already uh, exists in the community. And the fact that people are just ready to release the child to the department, to the government, you know? It's like, we are done with him. Let him go. Let the government deal with him. So even getting information that can help you, you find it's like people are already biased with the information they give you. You know, and um, and of course, when you when you say that uh, you are preparing this town to come back, it's like no, 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 no. The government should deal with that one. That one is a criminal. You know, so there is the stigmatization, a lot of it, a lot of it, and of course that uh, wanting to just dump the children in the children uh, in the institution, and the people are not ready to give information that, that really can help this child become a better person. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And now I'd like to move to um Mr. Julu, uh, real quick. And well, first of all, um, while I when I was um getting ready for this webinar, I came across a uh, a letter from the Chief Justice saying they you know it has come to his attention that you know children in conflict with the law are largely unrepresented in in court, and um you know he's calling for you know changes or reforms to that so that you know every child can be can get adequate representation in accordance to um you know the children's act and the constitution of kenya so how practical is it to get um you know to make sure that every child who's in conflict with the law has 
legal representation in court? You know, is this something that can be done but is not being done or what could be done to achieve that um, dream? Well, I think it's possible, yes. Uh, several attempts have been made. Mm-hmm. Again, there are certain uh, provisions that we have, uh, even generally in criminal matters, uh, certain matters which are weighty, let's say murder or that kind of thing, you need to have an advocate uh, representing you. If you don't have the capacity to do that, then the state will uh, be in a position or should be in a position to try and um, meet those kind of things. Now, as regards uh, children in conflict with the law, I, I think uh, it's, 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 it's it's good that we're having a representation from the children's department uh, and we're also having a representation from um, Wakilisha and the likes of uh, here. I think the other thing, given that you're talking about advocate and we have a society, Law Society of Kenya, it, it will be proper as well to try and get partnerships where the, the advocates who deal with children matters are in a position, that particular committee, or uh, because there are various committees here, yeah? and that committee which deals with children matters should be approached by entities like Wakilisha to, in order to have partnerships whereby we get to meet or rather have a certain uh, uh, number of uh, advocates who get to represent that. Then, like you said, we have different uh, institutions which um, get into this kind of uh, activities as Wakilisha as well. But I think the thing is that uh, in my, I could be wrong, but I stand to be corrected, is that I don't think that we we have uh, proper structures or approach to that uh, kind of partnership so far. And as the CJ mentioned, I mean, for me, it's, it's neither here nor there because it's just an observation like any other. But there's nothing that has been said that this is what I'm proposing as the chief justice of this country for us to move forward in terms of that. What I would have expected perhaps is uh, the judiciary has, uh, for instance, I mean, it's a long shot, but for instance, if he would have come up and said that the judiciary has uh, appointed certain kind of uh, advocate to get into that, then perhaps that will be proper. The same way they get to um, uh, recruit advocates for purposes of research is the same way that they can get to recruit advocates for purposes of uh, representing this kind of children so that it will be easier. If I appear before a magistrate and I'm representing Mr. Bright, for instance, and then the next matter that that magistrate or judge is uh, uh, calling out is one which concerns a child, by that mandate, if I'm if I'm a government, uh, if I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an advocate at the judiciary, it will be easier for that particular judge to just say, Mr. Okadia, this matter you'll be handling this matter moving forward. Okay, so that that particular judge has that power to do that. But currently we don't have. So for me, the unfortunately I don't find that the chief justice letter to that extent being beneficial uh, to us, or rather to me who feels that it and every child need to be represented. Uh, just, but to summarize, I think there needs to be a proper uh, paper to the Law Society of Kenya because that is where we can get proper representation and a committee uh, that deals with children matters out of the various committees that we have in the Law Society can be in a position to spearhead uh, uh, that. In the event that um, it's a bit difficult to get that, perhaps it will be easier to approach uh, branches. Like for instance, Nairobi, you can approach the Nairobi branch a law society, if you are less than the Rift Valley, then you approach that so that it will be easier to work with the branches as opposed to the national uh, leadership. But, but that's just what I'd say uh, about that, that we don't really have, we can try and take advantage if the idea that we have to provide the paper to the likes of the judiciary or the likes of the law society, if all that fails, then I think our default position will be the legal aid uh, act. Yeah, which yeah, which I think um the <coughs> the Chief Justice um also quoted in his in his letter. But yeah, I totally um you know believe that uh you know we should start seeing more tangible solutions. And I think um very quickly before I move to Jambi, without getting into the challenges, maybe for you know just someone who's listening in and you know then hearing us talk about legal representation, but then they're like, I you know, but anyone can you know. Like it's not a must. Maybe just paint a picture of why it's very important for anyone, and especially a child, to have you know legal representation in court, and how not having that can violate their rights to a fair trial. There was a a minor uh, who was in court, and the first day he was arraigned in court, uh, the wardens told him that uh, what he should do just uh, plead guilty, and then once you plead guilty, this thing will just uh, 
the judge will finish it off once you plead guilty. You just be told that fine, uh, you've accepted, uh, we've accepted your plea. Uh, you understand that this is wrong, so we just probably send you home or that kind of thing. That is the information that was given. So the first time he, he, he appeared in court, he said, yes, I, I accept what I, I did. It is true. Uh, so let's just finish up with it. But the good thing at that particular point is that the magistrate was uh, keen enough to note that this might be a misdirection and asked him to take some time and think through whatever he said in court. But you can understand that if it was not a magistrate who was keen enough, or if it was a magistrate who is uh, fast, uh, given that this day they have uh, this performance uh, index, yeah, mm-hmm. that I have 100 cases to deal with in a day, I need to clear 50. That would have been one where he easily clears the, the matter with. But so that the key thing about representation is to try and understand the issues that uh, are there proper as laid down in the law. Because um, a person is not learned in the law and learned in other matters, but not really appreciate things to do with procedure, things to do with the rights. Uh, like one of the things that you mentioned was concerning the uh, report from the probation office. Mm-hmm. That denies questions to do with bail. That denies uh, aspect to do with uh, uh, personal cognizance of the minor, because the magistrate cannot decide that without having the uh, probation report. But if you have legal representation, then that can be easily uh, pushed uh, for. Given that one of the rights that you have, uh, or rather, the individuals who uh, appear in court uh, facing several charges we need to have information proper in order to present their defense. Mm-hmm. Alluding to what was mentioned earlier about the number of, uh, for instance, the about um, being in custody, the law provides for certain provisions. So if, like, let's say you're, a minor is meant to be in, uh, if it's a matter which does not involve uh, death penalty, for instance, then the maximum that it should be in custody is three months. But you see, we have cases Minors come in court and you ask them how long has, you been, has your case been in court and they tell you three years. And they've been in custody for three years or one year or two years. It doesn't make sense. So these things are easily let off because they do not understand the system. They do not understand the legal provisions. They do not understand their rights. And if all the procedure for, for that matter. So if you have legal representation, it is easier for the uh, judge or the magistrate to appreciate this because your advocate will raise it up with the uh, magistrate. Great. Yeah. Thank you very much. And now, you know, to you and John B, um, you know, you did mention starting with Elisha and what, um, you know, what was the driving force behind, uh, what, what is the driving force even right now? You know, why is Wakilisha running? So perhaps you can share what Wakilisha does, um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, caring for uh, children in conflict to the law, you know, as far as legal representation or even, um, you know, care for them while they're on commission or afterwards. Yeah, you can maybe share what Wakilisha does to support um, children in the law, in conflict to the law in that way. I think as you've heard from Miss Penina and Julu, and even as you've alluded yourself, it is not just at one stage that these children need support. Miss Penina talked of the pre, you know, making sure that they don't get into the justice system. Julu has talked us through during the justice system. And um, we have other organizations that work towards either reintegration or after. So this child, there's an entire chain. What led them to actually finding themselves into the justice system? How are they treated within? That's where, you know, representation and all of these things uh, are going to be discussed. And then there's the after. So whether they've been released or they've been committed to an institution, but then there's life after that. How does that look for them? So this is, again, something I realized. It was not just about legal representation. So when I formed Wakilisha, or when, you know, I, I, I don't like saying I formed Wakilisha because uh, even though I'm the founder, I really did it with an army of people. So when we formed Wakilisha, we did it in three main arms. So the first one is legal representation. I think that has to be the main pillar of everything because then everything is almost centered around it because as Julio has said, you need to understand your rights and you need a way to push to ensure that these rights are realized or that they're enjoyed. 
So what we do is we partner with advocates uh, such as judo that are willing to represent children pro bono. So for, for now, for instance, we are working with the committee YCTC, that is Committee Youth Correctional and Training Center. Uh, we find children from that center that are not represented at the moment. And so once we have an advocate that either has approached us or we have approached asking that they take up a certain matter, we then link them to that child. So they're going to take up the matter, the child will become their client and um, we also link the advocate to a student because again, even though you're willing to take up pro bono matters, you need to make a living, yeah, as an advocate. And advocates, I'm almost an advocate myself. <laughs> I'm an advocate in training. Uh, we work on billable hours at the end of the day. So you can't have a majority of your pro bono work taking up your time because then your accounts won't balance. So we link you up with a student who then would do most of your research and then follow up almost like you would have a legal intern or a pupil in your office. So that's the first main arm. Um, then the second arm is mentorship and talent development. So as I said, I realized some of these children have grown up in a certain upbringing. Some of them actually just know crime. They see crime around them and you need to show them that there's 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 life without crime. You know, there's other ways that you can make a living. Now, other than crime, some of them need support. Uh, either they've not received parental care or um, they've not... Um, they've not developed or they've not matured to a certain extent to be able to make decisions in a way that would tell them, okay, so this is wrong. This is not the way you're supposed to do this, do this in this manner. So in that, um, we try to instill rehabilitative justice through mentorship and talent development. And to enable us to do this, we're actually now undergoing child psychology training because it's very, very important to understand um, how the mind of a child works before, and especially children in conflict with the law, before you then come and start either mentoring or employing other you know, aspects to try and help them either reform or just change the way in which they look at life and at certain matters in their lives. So that's the second arm. Then the third arm is public awareness and advocacy. I had said that you know, before I went on this data collection exercise, I really did not know about children in conflict with the law. I'd, I'm sure I'd read it somewhere and we were doing children in the law class, um, but that was the end of it. I had not found much to do with it. So after my data collection exercise, other than founding Wakilisha, the other thing that I did was I spoke to my dissertation supervisor and I actually changed my dissertation topic to focus on children's rights um, and their access to legal representation in Kenya. And I can tell you, it was an uphill task, even for my supervisor to supervise me, because it was very, very hard to find material. And where I found material, it was quite outdated. So that's the other arm uh, that we work we work on with Wakilisha. So we want to get people to understand that this is the situation. This is what is missing. These are the challenges that are faced by the children themselves, maybe their guardians, children officers, probation officers, um, advocates, you know, what are the challenges within the system and then what needs to be done. So public awareness and advocacy is our third arm. Just in a nutshell, we promote access to justice for children in conflict to the law through one, legal representation, free legal representation, mentorship and talent development, that's to promote rehabilitative justice and also to promote uh, smooth reintegration. So once they go back into society, you've also supported them in terms of uh, their outlook in life and how do they even deal with the stigma that comes after. And then three is public awareness and advocacy through you know social media, webinars such as this, a podcast that we launch soon, and um, a resource hub that we're going to be launching at the end of the month uh, to just make sure that information is available with regards to juvenile justice in Kenya.
just before we move on for you know just in case anyone's listening and they're wondering how they could um do what julu does with wakilisha and be a pro bono advocate maybe real quick how can someone do that so how can someone join wakilisha yeah as a pro bono advocate okay um so the other thing as we launch our website it's going to be much much easier to reach us so on the contact us tab of our website we have categorized it into either general inquiries um inquiries for volunteers and advocates willing to join us and partners or sponsors who are willing to sponsor our activities so i'm just going to go further than the advocates as you asked so mm-hmm. one if you're a student volunteer because we need student volunteers to do research yeah you need to plug in everyone there's something for everyone where juvenile justice is concerned anyone and everyone has somewhere where they can plug in so if you're a student um you will see the tab on volunteers and advocates so you just have to tell us your name um your email address and your motivational statement and the same goes for advocates that are willing to join us and take pro bono matters um you can also use that form you could also email legal at wakilisha.org now as we i've i've realized something because i kept saying that i i, I keep saying when i talk to people find your niche you really don't have to work with children in conflict to the law if 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 that does that's not your calling because again with this kind of work and i'm sure julu and miss penina will agree you have to have a calling it's not just that Oh, okay fine let me find something to do for the community you have to have a calling for it so if you realize that maybe i'm an advocate but i don't think i want to um actually represent the children in court or i'm a children officer or i'm a child psychologist or you know in whatever capacity you are you can still plug into akilesha in one way or another so you can either write articles you could offer training you could do abcd so whatever you want to do it will be possible to reach us on our website and again you could also reach us via social media and bright will be kind enough to respond to you <laughs> yeah so yeah so that's how you can join wakilisha if you want to and uh, we'll be launching the website at the end of the month so please look out for that great uh thanks i uh, think it's going to be um maybe just to go back to you miss penina the office of the director of public prosecution miss penina is um is keen on you know trying to keep children in conflict to the law outside the the system as well with their diversion policies that they um that they are launched not too long ago is the department of children services um consulted perhaps in this process do you work with the odpp to you know to implement diversion policies or are you in the dark about it uh, thank you brian uh the office of the dpp has been uh, very very um close uh agency that works with the department of children services Mm-hmm. and they have been training us on these guidelines yeah so mm-hmm. uh, there is a lot of collaboration because they cannot work alone no one can work alone as a department mm-hmm. so there is a lot of uh, information passing of information information uh, that we need to use to help those children who are in need of i mean who are in conflict with the law the diversions the diversion already the diversion guidelines already we are being trained on uh by the department of office of the dpp uh the plea bargaining is also something that we are being trained on uh the alternative uh, conflict resolution is also something that the office of the dpp is training us on so we, we work in collaboration okay. we are not in that it's only that these guidelines have not been uh, you know um they are, they are still in the inception stage eh? mm-hmm. we, we are yet to get used to them and apply them fully mm-hmm. but we know they are there and we have been so used to them okay and perhaps um julie you can also weigh in on that on just the practicability of um you know the diversion guidelines and the plea bargaining um you know uh, uh, children entering into plea deals and the adr um how practical are they 
in you know you for you as a as a practitioner in the in the in the system how are these you know guidelines and the agreements a solution to keeping children away from the system or even just you know reforming the juvenile justice system well uh, but i think uh, the key thing about it is that the idea behind diversion is to give them a, a second chance remember as was mentioned before when we started off uh, there's a question of stigma before okay mm-hmm. and if that is carried on then it would be what was alluded to as well in terms of reintegration would be an issue mm-hmm. but this kind of a process also tries to it's it starts off in terms of reintegration from the beginning instead of uh, having it at the end and i think it's a good thing however uh about uh, those kind of arrangements where you have for instance plea uh, plea, uh, plea bargaining agreements i have not really been a fan to those because of the money in which the uh, council from the office of the uh, honorable director of public prosecutions presented uh is that um, fine we don't even want to get into the merits of the case uh, but let's just finish off this thing like i said before there's a sense in which you want to clear off your your list of cases that you're handling which is not really proper fine mm-hmm. as much as they also want to clear them off but let's clear them off with giving this child uh, proper reasons as to why they should actually uh, take that uh, again because again remember the underpinning bit of a plea bargaining agreement is that you're guilty okay yeah that i've accepted i've accepted that what i did is wrong and perhaps if you went to trial then that element whatever was missing out will come to light and it will be realized that this child was not actually the perpetrator to this particular offense so that's why i'm saying the money in which the plea bargains have been uh, presented uh i've not really been proper in, uh, the one that has been presented to me i didn't find it uh, proper so but i think it's something uh, good even in terms of um, trying to ensure that the education of the child uh, goes on uh, his life in society is almost give or take one or two aspect similar to what he was used to so it's a good thing it's a good way to go is the in my uh, opinion uh, what i've gotten to know about uh, children country the law and i'm still learning on the same i think that kind of uh, approach is proper as opposed to what was there before uh, where you understand the child to be a potential cr- a criminal in the future so you want to stay for them as early as you can but uh, giving them an opportunity uh, would be good enough i mean we normally joke in societies that we are led by criminals and all that Uh, but uh, that is a question of giving them a second chance so if we did not give them that second chance i don't think that uh, we love proper systems uh, about what the juvenile system is remember we are talking about juvenile system the key thing is juvenile it's a minor mm-hmm. and as uh, was pointed out by the representation from akilisha this that you you want to somewhat change the cause of their fate and i think the version and the plea against if properly implemented assist to that particular change great um yeah th- thank you very much for for that response um perhaps yeah just i'll uh, go back to miss penina and you know just to get to hear from you what can other people you know do and by other people i mean uh you know people who are listening to this right now who listen to it later um how can other stakeholders be involved in you know supporting what you do at the department and yeah, what kind of support do you need from from any stakeholder really in as far as you know children in conflict to the law is concerned yes first and foremost i think uh, what we need to do as a society is to change our notion on uh child offenders or children who are in conflict with the law because uh, what you see is that uh, whenever a child has committed a crime we are very fast in uh, you know um you know demonizing them and putting them as very bad people as people maybe can even not change whereas we know very well as a child this a child who is planning and maybe they may have done whatever they did because of their 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 inability to you know to understand the whole thing the situation so if these children are given a chance they can change so there is the need to to educate the community 
to allow and give these children another chance other than just you know traumatizing them with all sorts of names. And I'm happy that uh, you'll see uh, in Gambia, uh, they have that component of, of the campaign awareness and all that. I mean, it's important that the society needs to be educated, that these children need to be given a second chance. These children, they are what we are because of us as a community. If what they are seeing in the community is all about violence, about the breaking of the law, they will just stimulate the handle, you know? So um, there is the need to educate the community, that's what I'm saying. Secondly, there is the need to, to have these children represented. I cannot, I mean, um, be tired of repeating it. I worked in a rehabilitation school, and sometimes when these children came to, to you as a, a rehabilitation officer, it's like, you ask them, you mean you did this? And they're like, no, they shake their head. I mean, what to read in their, in their files, they are stolen, they are done this, and the children say, they, they didn't hear what the magistrate said about the, the crime they had committed, you know? So, uh, and I'm like, you see, the, the environment in court, it's so intimidating to a child, you know? So they need somebody who will be there for them to speak on their behalf, you know, and to bargain on their behalf so that we don't necessarily put the children in the juvenile justice when they really don't deserve it. And even those who maybe need to be corrected, then there is a humane way of doing it. So I would say that we need people to represent the children. We need people, I mean, the society to change their attitude towards the children. And of course, we need other, other, other agencies who can come up with the with the programs that we can uh, we can use in the rehabilitation uh, institutions uh, to give these children skills, so that when they leave, because again, when you you find the. Uh, some of these children were in the rehabilitation schools, they are almost getting to the age of majority. And they're in class four, class five, you know? So you can tell these are people who are lagging behind as far as the academic is concerned. And therefore, these children, maybe the best, the best we can help them is by the time they attain the age of majority, they have a scale that they can use, uh, you know, to earn a living once they leave the institution. So we may need the agencies to come and uh, you know, support the government, supplement the efforts of the government to ensure that these children are, are well equipped with knowledge and skills before they leave the, the system. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Benina, for that. And Jambi, also maybe just in wrapping up, I know you've shared how people can support um, by joining Wakilisha. But then other people now who, in what other ways can, you know, just all these other stakeholders, what do you think um, other people can do to be part of the solution and the reforms? Uh, thanks, Bright. I think the main thing I have to say is that it's a collaborative effort. Mm. Uh, what Wakilisha does, and from the work of detail, we don't go deep into reintegration. Mm -hmm. There are some organizations that do that. And then there are organizations that are very, very keen, highly keen on before this child gets there, how do we reform these children? Mm -hmm. So it's all a collaborative effort. I don't think there's any one organization that would be able to take um, everything that is required pre, during, and post. Mm -hmm. So we all have to come together. I think I'm very encouraged this year. I have seen a lot of collaboration between various CSOs. I think you also know we've had a number of collaborations, say with uh, Strathmore Clinic, with our students, um, Clean Start, and various other organizations, Nafisika Trust. Even this collaboration in the Department of Children's Services, we all need to come together because at the end of the day, we are fighting for the same thing. We all want the same thing, and there's none of us that is going to achieve it on their own. Right. So now that's 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 from an organizational perspective. We have to hold each other's hands, even with government. Um, you know, we have the National Legal Aid Service. 
How do we then partner with such? How do we partner with the office of the DPP? How do we partner with probation officers? How do we partner with the DCS? We all have to come together. We all have to come to get, uh, to work together for the common goal. But now that's that's if I'm speaking to you know all these different institutions. But as individuals, I'm just going to echo what I said earlier. There's something for everyone in this entire chain. There is somewhere where you can plug in. If you are an IT expert, you could decide, um, as Ms. Penina said, some of these children don't have the, they've not finished the educational curriculum as it requires. And if you were to say, fine, take them back to school and let them finish all the way to form four, then you'll have someone at 30 mm-hmm. is when they're they are finishing their form four. So, I mean, that that's also good and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying some of them, as she said, will go into maturity. They need to find ways to make money because some of them even support their larger families. Right. So if you are a professional, then how then do you come in to impact your skills to some of these children? What can you teach them? Are you able to teach them basic IT skills? Can you teach them how to make something, how to develop something that they can then sell or to make a living for themselves. Are you a child psychologist? Can you teach them how to, you know, be better at decision making, how to build their self-esteem? I mean, some of these things we think are small are some of the things that have led these children to find themselves in the system. So for every professional, there is really something you can do. It doesn't have to be with Wakilisha. It, uh, you know, what, wherever you think you can plug in, please do. And please reach out to an organization. And it goes back again to our collaboration. If you come to us and what you'd like to do is something, you know, is not really per se within our organizational structure, I'll tell you, oh, okay, I know so-and-so, they do this. You would be best working with this organization. Yeah. Um, if your donors, if your sponsors, there'll definitely always be need for money. So for instance, as you are aware, um, since COVID-19, and I think, right, that's probably something we should mention as we wrap up COVID and its effects on the juvenile justice system. So one of the things that has happened is the government had to, of course, ban prison visits in good merit because we need to curb the spread of the virus. But now just think of what that has meant for a child that is institutionalized. Since Mm -hmm. March, this child has not seen their parent. And we have have good institutions. So I know, for instance, for us, the boys we work with, we're able to call them. Uh, Mr. Okadia calls uh, the children he's representing and they're able to talk. But it's very different. A phone conversation is very different from actually seeing your parents, seeing your guardian there and being able to converse and knowing that, okay, these people have come from wherever to come and see me. Yeah. 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 So one of the things we wanted to do is to, so that that also meant that our our programs, I I had mentioned we do mentorship and talent development. So Pre-COVID, we used to go to the centers at the center YCTC every Tuesday, but now we can't do that. So even if we go, it would probably be, we go for donations, we only see the welfare officers, and then they also have their protocols in terms of how do they keep the material that you've donated to ensure that it's properly sanitized and all of those things. So those, those, those those structures are there. But in terms of seeing the boys or the girls and people we work with, we're not able to. So I wanted to do virtual sessions on Zoom, mentorship sessions. But then because pre-COVID, there was no need for internet. So that institution did not have internet structures. Then you realize that, oh, fine. Then we need to find a partner, a sponsor to then come in and see how we're going to implement um, internet connectivity. Even for, I know that the PP has done this in a number of centers. Um, so that they're able to join their cases virtually, court sessions. Um, But so basically what I'm saying is there's something for everyone. You might think, oh, I'm an IT professional. I know nothing about the law. I know nothing about children's reports. But there is actually something that you can do. So reach out to organizations, reach out to these government institutions and find out where you can plug in. As I said, you can... um, 
reach us on our website or our social media. If you're an advocate who wants to join, email legal at wakilisha.org. If you're a child psychologist, if you want to help with the mentorship or child psychology training, um, you can email mentorship at wakilisha.org. If you would like to do research, write articles, um, peer review the articles that we write with students, you can email research at wakilisha.org. If you would like to sponsor, especially now that we're looking for someone who can help us implement um, the Wi-Fi connectivity, then email finance and partnerships at wakilisha.org. I mean, I think I think we get the the the, the, the drift of it all. <laughs> but basically, um, you know, that's from a wakilisha standpoint. But there's really very many organizations that you can reach out to. I think you can also support. Possibly we could also ask Frida in terms of people who want to work with Hill as well, then how then do they get to do that? But bottom line, there's something for everyone to do. And that's why this webinar was a call to action. There is something for each and every one of you listening to do, somewhere to plug in. Great. Yeah, thanks, Jambi. And yeah, so I'll, I'd like to thank our panelists who made you know time to prepare and attend this webinar today and it's been very very great to have you um, on board uh, Mr. Okadia and Ms. Kanyithia today thank you very much for um, all the insights that you've given and yeah that's very um, priceless we can, I don't think we can put you know we can say thank you enough so thank you very much thank you for listening to this show Please follow us on our social media channels for more information about what we do at Hill Accelerator across all platforms. Until next time, goodbye.